Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. I'm your host, Monica Cox, along with Sarah Clark, and we're here to support, inspire, and educate those who are all consumed with the label of infertility. We totally know how you're feeling. Both Sarah and I were diagnosed with a form of infertility before we hit our 30s. We let the fertility experts dictate our past and ignored what our bodies were trying to tell us for far too long. So here we are, helping you take control of your infertile diagnosis. So welcome back to, I think we're on episode seven now. We've covered quite a lot of our um, journeys and what we've been through, IVF, hyper-focusing, discovering that our infertility wasn't what we thought it was in the sense of, uh, you know, finding the root cause of what was happening with our fertility journeys. And now we're here to talk about what I think is one of the hardest things, emotions. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a society thing, but I still like when someone's like, let's emotionally talk. And I'm just like, oh God, <laughs> I'd rather go eat pasta. <laughs> yeah, like I love as a life coach, right? I, I love having like deep talks with people like this whole um, just superficial talk. I don't really like it. I like having deep talks and I, I probably have like a, a like a bunch of girlfriends, but they're, but not like a huge network, but a bunch of close girlfriends where we just like go there. And then with the, my clients, stuff like that. Yeah. Like I really, that's probably why I like coaching. Cause I ask these questions that really get to the nitty gritty, but myself, um, but yeah, like I've written a book about my journey and share my journey, but yeah, I, I'm not an overly weepy kind of person. I'm more like this, like, cause I think I was in business for so many years in corporate environment. And so, and with male, like a male dominated engineering corporate environment that, that I wasn't like talking about my emotions and, and stuff. So maybe there is a little bit of stagnation there. So working with energy healers and things like that to, to release this stuff. And, um, yeah, just because I've, I'm able to reframe things that have been a naturally positive person. Yeah, exactly. You, um, yeah, I find it the same way. I'm so much more open to talk about someone or their issues coming towards me than me going, right. So <laughs> it just makes me like tingly. I actually went to um, see a therapist for the first time ever a few months ago. And um, it was awesome. It was nice because um, it was the first time ever I someone was asking me the hard questions and I was able to say some things out loud that had never been said before and um which was very liberating um so that's nice and yeah um but during my journey the beginning of it no way (laughs) I you know shoved it down and I was definitely you know, the faking it fine, but not fine person for a lot of years. Yeah. Like for me, it was, it was, it was, um, I think just cause I'm just so future, I'm future focused, but I don't catastrophize about the future. I'm like, okay, it's going to work out. So I had like strong visualization and I knew it was going to work out, but I was also 
open to how it was going to happen, but I wasn't like asking for help or like, I was open about what I was going through and people were saying, well, you know, from the donor eggs, will you tell your children? And I'm like, yeah, why would I hide anything? So I was very open about that, but I don't think, I think I already shared this in the podcast. I can't remember now, but like when I was, when I was um, having my, my daughter, I was in childbirth for like 18 hours and she just loved it in there and wouldn't come out. Um, and they're like using the forceps to get her out. And then they're like, Oh, we're going to have to have a C-section. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then the nurse said, Sarah, you can cry. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I started crying. So it wasn't like my natural thing was like, oh, to start crying. So maybe that says something about me, but, um, I think as I get more meditation and, um, like being quiet and this, like the self care and seeing what my body needs, I, um, am, I'm happier. And also I happen to have a husband who like listens to, like, I, I process things by down, like by talking about it. And once I talk about it, I'm like, oh, I'm good. So he listens to everything and I have a good group of girlfriends where I can like, just like talk it, process it. And then I'm able to move on. I don't, um, push it down and like, I have to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find when you were going through your, um, the journey of like talking about not being able to get pregnant and then going down donor eggs, did you have, were you all right just talking to people who weren't going through similar experiences or did you like go out and try to find people? No, like, so it was my husband that I would talk, that I've talked to and then a couple of close girlfriends, but then they didn't quite really get it because they were all having children and some were decided they didn't want to have children. So I couldn't even understand the yearning to be mm-hmm. a mother. Um, but for me, that's just how I process. And I push a lot of people that that's not how they process at all. They process it by pushing it down, pushing it down, and then, then it explodes. So I'm like, and I hopefully coach my kids and parent of my kids to be like, get this crap out. Like, don't have it, you know, you've, you've got to talk about what you want and, and communicate or you won't get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, yeah, for me, I, I would talk to anyone who would listen, (laughs) I suppose. Um, but I mean, there was one girl that was going through it. Um, and I think we probably had about two, three years together and then she ended up getting pregnant and then that was it. There was, you know, nothing out there. There was no support groups. There was like some chat, you know, that we talked about before those chat groups. Um, but even those, you know, they were hard to make connections on because a lot of people were just coming in asking for advice or, you know, or did you feel this symptom or did you feel that there was no really kind of like deep down, let's get this conversation, let's get these emotions out. So yeah, it was, um, it was a pretty interesting journey for the first few years. And unfortunately for me, not for them, but my two best friends that I was living right next to up in Scotland got pregnant um, we all started trying at the same time, which was not planned. Um, but yeah, so I, my first year got to watch them bloom and then have their babies and, um, you know, dealing with the jealousy of that. And, and like, when I look back, like I was an emotional wreck, but if anyone looked at me, they wouldn't have known that. You know, I just kept up the whole, I'm fine, party girl, you know, woohoo, one more month I can drink, you know, and I can go do things. I, it, their um, 
two boys were born around Christmas time. And I just remember saying to my husband, and I don't even know if he knows this, but I wanted out. I did not want to stay in Scotland and spend Christmas with them. And one had a baby and then one was still heavily pregnant. I was like, we got to go. We have to go. So we went to Colorado snowboarding for a few weeks. And um, yeah, like that mentally saved me. But um, yeah, the jealousy part. Did you deal with a lot of jealousy? Yeah, like mine was was more because as I say, none of my close girlfriends around me were having babies, and um, yeah, like it, it was more like that. It seemed so easy for them, and I'm like, I gotta go pay money for this. I have to go through all these treatments. I have to, um, you know, they're expanding their family when they want to, and I had to, I had to wait to be on these lists and. Um, yeah, a lot of these, these things I've kind of blocked out some of it too. I'll say to my husband, how are you? And you're like, when I asked for people from some of my friends to, to donate and they didn't want to donate, he's like, you were pissed. They didn't want to. I'm still friends with them. It's fine, but I never got over it. But, um, but yeah, just because I'm impatient. And so I was trying to like, I was trying to fast track the whole process and, and come at it from this kind of lot. Even though I'm not completely, I'm not definitely, I'm definitely not a left brain sciencey person by any, many stretches of imagination, but um yeah the the jealousy thing it wasn't it wasn't huge for me because i think i had my own little plan i had my own plan over here as to what i was doing i think if i had been not knowing what was happening with my pof i would have been trying to get my own eggs to, to work that that might have been a different thing but i had this whole world. yeah this is what i have to do i have to wait for the thing in the mailbox i'm these are the these are the steps that i'm going to go through and if that doesn't work then i'll look at adoption so i always had like my next little plan worked out and if that didn't work out we travel the world so i always had um that's the planner thing which has been the been a great thing and also the bane of my existence the the planner because you have to let go of how it's going to happen i never visualized myself when i was 12 that I would have my kids with donor eggs yeah wasn't that wasn't part of the yeah and that's um such a good way of like looking at like all these emotions um that you're dealing with you know the jealousy and then the isolation the anger the fear the guilt is that when you know I know that I did it for quite a few years I was just so hyper focused on my infertility that those emotions were allowed to grow because that's what I was focusing on and then when you shift or if you have something else to focus on those emotions just don't get fed you know and they don't they don't grow yeah i see this all the time with the, the clients I, I i coach where it's like they're focused on they're yeah triggered by baby bumps like all sorts of all these emotions we're talking about the jealousy the isolation the anger all a lot of that is is in all aspects of their life and then when we start digging into self-care and doing things that they can make like having a little a little plan within this whole thing kind of like i'm going to now look at my sleep i'm going to you know take targeted supplements i'm going to look at this diet i so within there you have a little bit of control over the like a little bit of control over this over the situation as to how you want to handle it instead of being at the mercy of all these things just coming in at you and you're just sometimes ending up in a big puddle yeah exactly and um, so, I mean, isolation for me, you know, I guess 
I think I, I think I created isolation. If I ever did feel it, I like you sometimes, like I feel like I've repressed a lot of these memories. And it's really funny, um, like being connected with people going through infertility on Instagram. I follow a small group of people. It brings up all those memories. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> um, but I feel like the isolation um, is something that I did to myself if I did it because there was so much life happening outside of my infertility world that was good and amazing. And if I ever felt isolated, it was because I put myself in that box and just shut everyone else out, which sometimes I think you do it to protect yourself or because you, know, you get super angry about your situation. But in reality, isolation, it doesn't need to be there, does it? Yeah, the whole thing when we're going through this is we want to connect with other people, but then it can be too painful to connect with them. So then we isolate ourselves and then we 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 need the connection. And then it's like this whole like chicken or the egg thing where like what do we do? And where if we actually just reach out to a trusted person and sort of build that little bridge, then we can start to be able to feel some of these emotions and start to figure out how to navigate them instead of just like isolating ourselves from everything and putting ourselves away be too painful it is like good with boundaries and 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 that but like for myself i didn't i wasn't actually because now i coach people and all this stuff but back then i wasn't really thinking about any of that i was i've had you know my friends around me they were having children i was frustrated and for me it would probably be more anger like why do i have to go through this but i never was like poor me i'm i was like okay this is what i have to do and but I didn't like I didn't look into my diagnosis. I didn't dig deeper. I didn't go for a root cause. I didn't do any of that. Um, I just took it for what it was and and moved forward. But there's those emotions were there. But I think I was empowered because I had this. Yeah. Plan. Right. Just not hyper focusing on them. I think too when you're doing. Um, you know, IUIs and IVFs and frozen embryo transfers and even adoption. Um, you're so time bound, aren't you? You get into the schedule of like, okay, this has to be there, there, and there. And especially if you're doing back to back, back to back stuff, um, you lose the sense of the reality that is around you, which I think sometimes you have to, you have to, like if you've decided to do those things, that's what you have to put your focus into. But, um, you know, I watched, um, watched, you know, um, follow a woman that, um, a friend died and she, you know, has a guilt or whatever associated with it that she didn't take time because she was so consumed with her infertility to see her friend. And, um, and she, you know, she even admits that, you know, it was the isolation that she put herself into. She didn't want to be around people and now her friend's gone and, you know, hindsight's a bitch, right? Like you can't get those times back, you know? And for me, like everyone was having kids and I definitely made it a purpose to be with those kids. And um, because for me, kids make time real, you know, especially in like, your mid twenties to maybe your forties, everything like people kind of stay the same, right? Like you don't see like the growing older or um, big changes necessarily, but a kid, you, they are just dramatic, right? From baby to 10 years old, they're a different person. 
And, um, you know, for me, my niece and nephew, I didn't get to see them loads because we lived in the UK and they lived in California. And, um, but every time I was in California, it was all about them because I knew I would never get that time back with them, even though I was like yearning for my own, you know, I made sure I put my focus into being with those kids and even my friends' kids in the UK, you know, I became most of the time the drunk auntie, but uh, still fun nonetheless. Um, but yeah, just remembering when you're isolating yourself, um, even though those um, emotions are valid, you know, just really stepping out of those isolations and just living, you know, the life that you have right now is, it's just key to, um, like you say, just, you don't hyper-focus on all the other emotions that get compounded. And the fear, did you ever have the fear of, I guess, um, not being a mother, right? That's the biggest fear of infertility. Well, it wasn't going to work, that I, mm-hmm. that I had to like make all these bargains that if it didn't work, I'd do this. But, you know, if, it, if I, yeah, definitely the fear was there for me. And uh, like, what would I do? And then, then, then I go into the planning thing. Mm-hmm. Then I, you know, whatever I would do. Um, but to be able to fully face that, it's kind of like what ha- what would happen if I, I, I guess I always knew I'd be a mother and I wrote a poem on this, you know, some way, somehow I'd be a mother and, and I didn't know what that would look like. Um, but I knew that was going to happen. But I was open to how, it, but yeah, definitely some fear around there because if that's what you, if that's what I wanted and now there's these obstacles that are in the way. Which yeah. Just, you know, you can't really. Some of it, obviously, a lot of it is out of your power. Yeah. Because yeah, definitely. Because some of these things that I know now with mindset and functional medicine, there's lots of things that we can do. But back then, I didn't know any of that. And um, yeah, so I just kind of forged ahead with what felt right for, for me. And you guys always had a plan. Well, obviously you're a planner. You had a plan, right? So if the egg donor didn't work out, did you, did you know like how many cycles you would do with egg donor? Did you guys kind of talk about that or was it? Yeah, we didn't talk about how many we would do. I just thought if it didn't work, then like I'd look at adoption sites. So we we, we would go down that road. Um, yeah. Talk about, well, how many, how many, I regularly speak to people that six, seven, like failed IVFs and, and the, some of them will have them all in one year, just keep going and going. And the, the, the toll on your body, that is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts. Um, but yeah, for me, it was sort of, again, that planning thing, but yeah, there was fear under there that what would, what would happen if it didn't work? Would I, what would I do? I always, I always thought I'd go and like make this major change to my life that I would uproot and, you know, do all these things. But that was just me running, I guess, Someone's gonna probably psychoanalyze me like we're running away from the fear. Um, but that's how I was handling it and being in went into that like logical side of things. And yeah. You start protecting yourself. Totally. I think- oh yeah, I was guarded. I was protected. I was like a and that's kind of where I, you know, that's probably where I I will go. But now but by also but it's with that guard and protected, but with the I want to tell you everything about me. Mm-hmm. I want to have deep conversations. I'm not afraid to like talk about all my emotions and talk about things and hope I have like open conversations. I love being direct, things like that. Um, so it's weird. Yeah. That's a weird juxtaposition of how I, how I am where I'm like, I'm guarded and, and logical and planner over here. But then I'm like, I really want to go deep and talk about all these issues and 
maybe the fact that I'm able to go deep and talk about it, then um, that didn't allow me to get stuck in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, um, you know, our journey was so different because there was so many open variables. And after our first failed IVF, you know, like it was on me, you know, my husband's room was fine. And so therefore I was the one with the shitty eggs. And um, yeah, the donor a conversation got brought up and um, I know I've talked about this before, but um, I shut down that conversation. I wasn't emotionally, mentally ready to have that conversation with my husband because it's a huge, um, it's a huge decision, isn't it? Especially I feel like as a woman as well, like if you're using your man's sperm or either way, I suppose whoever has to be the one getting the donor, um, you know, it's that, um, that natural instinct that you're not having your biological child is you have to really deal with that. And, um, you know, I said to him, I was like, we'll have this discussion when the next IVF round, you know, if it's the same way, we'll have that discussion, then we'll take it from there. But I think having a, a plan of action, you know, if these things, not like, okay, I'm only going to do two rounds and then we'll go for adoption or things like that, but discussing the options because adoption wasn't an option for my husband. He didn't want to adopt. That just wasn't where his heart was. So you can't force that on someone, you know, and, and I don't know if donor A would have been something I was open for, but to get those conversations out and to have those plans, um, in place um it's just super important um because i feel like it it releases the fear of the unknown at least you kind of have an ideal of where you might go together as a couple if those things don't work out yeah we talk about that in our our mindfulness series where it's sort of within this you know what do you want to do what is it going to look like is it one or two and then you go here or here you're going to do this and you'll take a break or there you're going to so you can kind of have some level of yeah, be empowered as you're, if you're, if you're choosing to go down the IVF route, obviously if you're choosing functional medicine, there's a whole whack of things that will just naturally make you feel empowered because your yeah. body will change. But if you're down, down the, 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 the conventional treatment route, there's, uh, there's other things to look at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I guess we talk about um, all these emotions in our journey before we found functional medicine, because I feel like a lot of people who listen are listening to this we, you know, they were us, you know, quite a few years ago. Um, it's a completely different conversation when you put functional medicine into it and you are using your, the right diet for you and getting into the mindset. It, it's just a game changer. It really is. And um, yeah, and you just have to get there when you're ready, right? Like you can have all the information being thrown at you. You can, you know, do it all, not do it all. I'm just losing my train of thought. But um, yeah, until you're open and ready and willing for me, desperate. <laughs> um, yeah, it changes things. Um, guilt. Did you feel guilt? Um, yeah, the whole, I don't know. I had this whole guilt thing. I, I literally, the guilt thing never came until I actually had children. <laughs> I feel guilty about everything. And again, it's what are we doing? But yeah, beforehand, I remember actually thinking about that and, and some guilt around me and why it was my fault. I don't know. I never felt it was my, like, I, I didn't really feel that way. Yeah. 
feel. I, I literally, the guilt, because I, yeah, the guilt thing for me happened when I had children. Mm-hmm. If I was working or that I was not working or that I was, you know, somehow screen them up or like there's there's you know should I have, uh, yeah that came later for me so not, not, <laughs> not after I didn't blame myself um that I use the like some of these these things that I hear all the time from women that I feel broken and all that um I don't know I didn't really think that about myself yeah I just really took it, it and this is probably maybe this is this is probably how I protected myself because I I just was like okay here it is this is what I need to do and I went over there yeah um, but yeah, so the guilt didn't come up for me. Yeah. Um, I think there was times, yeah, I did feel guilty because I um, because we didn't have that diagnosis. Right. So we, it was, it was my fault. Like I wasn't getting pregnant. Um, but I didn't, it was, it wasn't something that like, um, I didn't feel broken in the sense that I knew my body was working. You know, I, I, I was cycling, um, I just wasn't getting pregnant and yeah, I mean, there was guilt that, you know, I couldn't give my husband a kid, I suppose. Um, because maybe I was just narrowly thinking I wasn't getting pregnant. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't ever really f- hyper-focused on like going down other routes, you know, it was always just like, okay, I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to get pregnant. Um, but yeah, no, the guilt didn't, um, didn't overwhelm me, which is nice. And, um, I think that's, you know, when you start taking control of your health, you realize that it isn't your, you know, it's not your fault. You know, there's, you're not broken. You're just malfunctioning at the moment. (laughs) We just have to do a tune up. Right. Um, but yeah, for me, um, I just got fucking over it. I think, um, especially after the second failed IVF. And even though I was into my nutrition and um, my mindset, it still wasn't working for me. It still took a while to really find my root cause. Um, I just got fucking over it. I got over talking about it. I got over thinking about it. I just wanted to live life. And so I just started not focusing on infertility and focusing on health and you know, living, we traveled loads. Um, and yeah, that, that was the emotion I, I, I felt the most at the end. I just wanted it to be over. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. I did the same thing. I, I, we traveled a lot. We had like a lot of damn fun. Like we had a lot of fun. (laughs) And while people were having kids in their 25, like I didn't have my daughter until I was 31. So those six years, you know, didn't have our kids. I was married at 25. So a lot of travel, a lot of like a lot of good times during, during that period. And, um, yeah, like at, at, at a certain point, like if it hadn't have worked at work when I was 31, when I got pregnant, then you start going into the time frame thing and start worrying, you know, the biological clock and what's going to happen. Uh, even though it wasn't my eggs, it was still my body. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, no, like I, I, I guess it's one of the fortunate ones that it, that I, it, it worked, but I still had to wait. And for a person that's like uber, uber impatient, <laughs> I've worked on, like I've worked on it a lot to be like, enjoy the journey to be where I am to stop, you know, future focusing, doing all this stuff to, to really be patient. That was the ultimate in teaching patience. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I don't know. It wasn't on purpose because we weren't like privy to the be mindful kind of thing, take it slowly. But we never, I think because we had, we had such a long journey because we were so slow at things. So we tried naturally for three years and then it took almost another year to do an IVF. And then we waited another year to do another IVF. Um, and then after, you know, after my first miscarriage, it was eight months before I went back and did a frozen embryo transfer. We always just were really slow about it. Um, which in hindsight is so good because we would have wasted so much fucking money if we just kept going IVF after IVF or that would have been me. Like if I think of someone the IVF, I'd be like, go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, like, look, that, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. We're not like judging anyone, but we know in our experience and our hindsight that that is not necessarily going to end in the results you want. So, yeah, it's um, so it was good for us to just take it slow. But yeah, nine years is a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I never thought of age, to be honest. I remember being 30 and about um we postponed the IVF because I wanted to be drunk on my 30th and um um, and I remember thinking like when you turn 30 it's a big deal right um but after that I just never really felt um a rush that maybe because we had eggs on ice and I felt good and I guess because I did change my diet and my lifestyle I was feeling healthier than I felt at 27 when we first started trying so yeah, age is, I mean, obviously, there is scientific proof that, you know, your fertility starts decreasing. We cannot argue that. But um, the whole damnation of it all, I think, is really overplayed. You know, if you are getting healthy in the right mindset, you know, I feel you'll have better chances, you know, like us when we were 27 and unhealthy and unfertile. <laughs> um What would you like to tell yourself about emotions in the kind of early years of your journey? I think now that I'm older and wiser, it really is like for me to know yourself, how you process things. And I process it usually quite quickly with someone listening to me. And so being able to have that network of people and, and if not, then getting a coach or a therapist. So having, if you don't have that network of people that can listen to you babble on, um, then, then, then hiring someone. So, um, to have that support and then to have other people that are going through it. So you don't feel so isolated and alone. And I was reaching out, you know, on forums. So I didn't have that. I didn't have that. Cause a lot of times people will have now that I'm, I'm, when I'm coaching them, they'll actually have someone else that's going through it. They may have mm-hmm. had a, little, a buddy, which can be devastating when the buddy goes on to get pregnant. Um, similar to, I think, what you had. Yeah. But, but really, yeah, like that, knowing your communication style, what works well for you, and what you, like, really need to, like, that's going to make you feel good. And for me, it's talking about it, not, yeah. not, throw, not, not pushing it down. Yeah, definitely. And then that's where all these, you know, tools come into place. You know, I, I think a lot of it gets 
it's just not cool, right? It's like being the cool kid at school. It's not cool to get good grades and show up on time. And I feel like that's the society that it's not cool to talk about your emotions. It's not cool to journal. It's, you know, all these different things. Or maybe now it's kind of getting a little bit cool because we're all seeing the benefits of it and that it is worthy. Um, But for anyone else who's still kind of in that society of, you know, those things are either woo-woo or not cool, that finding what's right for you. So journaling, talking, music, you know, having a hobby. Like, I, th- I guess for me, it was, I, I know I'm like such an old granny, but I knitted and I crocheted and I um, cross-stitched. And yeah, like that was my outlet. You know, I could just sit there for hours and hours. And, you know, that's when I saw, started getting into podcasts because I would just sit there and knit and listen to all this information. Um. But yeah, finding something that um, really connects with you and you're able to um, continuously do it, right? Because that's the key is repetition. You can't just go see a therapist and you think once or twice and you think everything's fine or, you know, it just doesn't work that way, does it? Even though sometimes you may think it does, it it's a very long process because with the brain you have all these connections that you've made in the last, let's say 20, 30 years, you have to rewire them, you know, and that's why habit breaking is so hard because you're just in that, that zone and your brain is wired to do that. And, you know, for me, rumination, you know, just sitting there like, thinking about all the things that could possibly happen, which none of them are going to happen, right? That is like my kryptonite. I'll just like go off. And my husband actually caught me in the kitchen the other day. He's like, what are you saying? I was like, oh, just talking to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's really putting in the work. And um, I, I think for me, um, I've talked about this to my followers over on Instagram a lot. Um, The game changer in hindsight was the journaling, like sitting down, taking five minutes in the morning, writing out what I was grateful for and um, just continuously doing that. And I did it solidly for almost a year. And I remember being in such an amazing place at that time. And it's like, well, what was I doing? Ah, I was journaling. And um, so yeah, that's that's my go-to now, obviously, um, and that's why I created the Baby and Me Journal to help other women just have a really easy resource, you know, because that's what it is. It doesn't have to be these complicated, long-ass meditations that are going to get you to a good place, you know. So yeah, I wish I would have started that a lot earlier, but um, yeah, hindsight's a bitch, right? <laughs> Um, is there anything else for you other than talking that you find really helps? Meditation for me. And, and I've, I've always loved nature. Like I literally, we've camped like for, I haven't gone camping in a couple of years, but literally like every year for the past 30 years, I just love, like, I, I'm like, I love the city and I love shopping and whatever, but I also love like, I need to be in nature. I need to have a campfire. I'd like to be like by a lake, ocean. Like I need to be outside. When someone says to me, they don't like being outside. I I can't even understand it because I, I'm here in Canada, it's like literally I'm from the four seasons. I, I will embrace them. I go outside and it just makes me feel good. So nature has always been my, um, yeah, like my stress relief and walking. And, yeah. Just yeah. 
It's so funny, um, walking, right? Like it's a British pastime and obviously Canadians um, love the Queen as well. So it must be a close tie. But uh, I don't know if I ever really went on walks in California, but I suppose I moved to the UK when I was really young. So at 22, you're not going for walks to stress relief, are you? But yeah, a simple walk. I mean, it is just simply just getting out and going for a walk and finding a good place to walk, right? Because, you know, walking downtown London or in the middle of a city is not like the most calming, but uh, it can be just as simple as that. I mean, for me, I was just saying, uh, Sarah, I went to yoga. I didn't have a great day yesterday and I went to yoga and I got that hour and a half on the mat, which is awesome. Um, but you know, an hour and a half for me six years ago would have been like painful. <laughs> I would have been really, really like, okay, I just got to go. I just got to go. Um, so yeah, it's, it's finding, starting slow, getting into those routines and um, keep going with them because um, I feel like those things help you, you know, throughout your life, you know, infertility, you know, nine years for me is in hindsight, a very small time in the rest of your life. And so if you can set yourself up with those, you know, life changing um, things, then the rest of your life, um, you're just going to go through it. I always say with a little bit more grace, <laughs> it's not going to be easy, but you will, you know, handle those, you know, tough times, which they're going to come. Right. Yeah. For me, it was also food really like when I was working corporate, like making sure I packed my lunch and I'd be so excited every day. I'm like, Oh, you packed this lunch. This is great lunch. That was me. Um, yeah. Like really like having like awesome food. Yeah. Healthy and like, I love salads and soups and having good food that I would eat regularly and that made me feel really good and yep. today I need my three meals and today I didn't eat lunch till 2 30 and I was not happy about it but um typically we'll eat my three meals a day and have a few snacks in there and yeah and, and I always take time like I don't eat while I'm standing up I will sit down and enjoy it and yeah and we look sitting down at the dinner table we're not you know spread out we'd sit down at the table and then my, it was just my husband and I we would sit down at the table yeah it's funny how um you don't you don't put those links together with your emotions and your food do you mm-hmm. um until, until sorry yeah but that's actually the that is the starting point of everything to see yeah what you're feeling yourself with and that actually helps to keep you calm yeah, um, that was a really big game changer for me. Um, when I was listening to the podcast, someone was on, I don't know, it's like all this information is around my brain, but um, he talked about slowly, mindfully eating. I was like, what? That's a thing? <laughs> I, thought you, like, I thought you just ate and that was just eating, right? No matter how you ate. And um, that was a really big thing for me. And I still find it to this day. I, I naturally just go... <laughs> just want to like get it down, get on with life. And, um, and I usually am the first one done at the table always. And my husband is like the complete opposite man. He's like a snail when it comes to eating, but, um, yeah, it is, it is a really big thing. And, um, another thing to put on your list of things to do. Right. 
<laughs> um, but I think that's us for um, this afternoon. And thank you so much once again for uh, tuning in to the Infertile Diagnosis. And thank you, Sarah, for coming along. And we will see you next week with our first Q&A. few more things before you go. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and or a rating. We would greatly appreciate it and it would totally help us out. Also, if you'd like to connect with either of us, you can find me, Monica, over at mymindfulme.com and you can connect with Sarah over on fabfertile.com. All the links you need to find us on our websites, our social media, any products we talk about, book, special offers, or any guests that we have on, you're going to find all that information in the show notes. So that's it. Thank you once again for being with us here on the Infertile Diagnosis and have a beautiful day.